Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! Interesting day because I, uh, I told a couple people this morning I, uh, I've been sick this week and so I, my sermon prep days are on Thursdays and uh, I couldn't think straight <clears throat> and so I did the entire sermon and I was like, yeah, sounds pretty good. And I looked at it Friday, and I was like, wow, why, what was I talking about? Like, I was just like, it was almost just like, oh, that'd be cool to talk about. That'd be interesting to say. And then I was just repeating myself over and over and over again. And so I, it was one of those sermons, like, I had to ask God for a direction up until about this morning. So, uh, so it's just cool, though, because God always shows up. God does the work that he's going to do. And uh, it's weeks like this week where I realize that it's not about me anyway, right? It's not about my giftedness or whatever. It's just like the Spirit of God is going to do the work that he's going to do. So I usually walk away from days like today being like, hey, that's a reminder. Like that is clear evidence in my life that Jesus is the one doing all this stuff anyway. And so we're in a series called Not Satisfied. And because uh, again, uh, it, this came from a place of me just talking with people and realizing uh, either online or just like in person how not satisfied a lot of people are, you know, with their careers, with their lives, with their spouses, with their hobbies, with whatever, right? It's just a lot of people are just kind of in that unsettled space because that's the world really that we live in right now. Everything feels so unsettled, which can leave us feeling very not satisfied. So I wanted to talk about that in light of Thanksgiving, right? Because it's a, as Tim mentioned, it's a time of the year where we can easily just skip over it and be like, okay, here comes Christmas, right? Because I know there's some people in here that Christmas started the day after Halloween, right? Like, I know that. And the, the things went up, and it's like, and if we're not careful, we miss a great opportunity to slow down and, and remember what we're grateful for, right? Because if nothing else, yes, it's a holiday, but if nothing else, it is a great opportunity to slow down and be like, man, look, look at all, all the stuff around me. Like, look at all these things around me. So that's why I wanted to do this series, to just help us with that. Um, because the, you know, the question that we've been wrestling with during the series is regardless of our current circumstances, can we live a satisfied life? You know, can we do that no matter what's going on in our lives? And, uh, you know, what I see in the apostle Paul, what I see in Philippians is that the answer to that is a resounding yes, that you can, because if you slow down and again, and you just, you think about these real lives that were lived around writing scripture, it's like, man, that's, that puts a much different light on it. Like Paul was in prison, likely awaiting death, and yet he's able to speak of the joy that he has. He says joy, rejoice over and over and over again throughout this letter to this church. And you see that because that comes from a place of just like a deep faith and deep relationship with God and his people. Because I, I, I try to say it a lot. I don't want you to underestimate your importance as a member of the body of Christ. Because Paul opens up chapter 1. And basically lays it out for his people, like the joy that he has because of them. He can sit in prison awaiting death, but because he's got Jesus and he's got the encouragement of God's people, he's able to rejoice. He's able to have joy. He's able to write this letter of just of gratitude. And so I would say, yes, regardless of circumstance, we can because we see it in Paul. We see what Jesus Christ did in a guy like Paul. And so we've been using this acronym PAGE, right, to try to, in our own hearts, in our own minds, turn the page from being not satisfied 
to being satisfied. And I, you know, I wanted to do that just so, because it's easy to remember, right? It's, we can kind of, it's portable. We can take it with us. And we started off thinking about our perspective. And we looked at perspective in light of Paul, because he says, like, you know, I've got Jesus. I've got his people. Look at the goodness of God in my life. Like, that is a different perspective, to say, look at the goodness of God in my life, not scarcity mindset, not, well, I don't have enough stuff, and where is God in my life? Like, Paul was able to say, even in jail, I know I can do this. I know I can rejoice, and his perspective was different, looking at it from the framework of what he does have. And then last week, we talked about our attitude. You remember our phrase I gave us last week? No ego, amigo. That's right. No ego, amigo. And it's funny how God will do these things. So he did that to me this week. There was some uh, customer service person kind of mouthing off to me. So naturally, uh, I wanted to mouth off back. And this stupid phrase came into my mind. No ego, amigo. And I was like, ah. And so, because, and then it did. It caused me to slow down. And it was like, so what good is that going to do, right? Like, what good is it going to do me to let this person have it? It's not going to do any good, is it? Like, what am I going to do? Like, walk away all justified? Like, yeah, take that, Walmart employee. You know, like that. Like, what am I going to do, right? And so my attitude had to be adjusted. And so then this week, we're, today, we're going to look at our goals. And then Wednesday night, we're going to look at what we emphasize. We're going to land in Chapter 4. And again, why do we do Thanksgiving Eve? Uh, we used to do this in my church in North Carolina. And I never understood it. It was kind of like a community thing. But the reason we do this is so that during this holiday that's very, very busy, and Thanksgiving can get totally lost, just like Jesus can get lost in Christmas, right? We want to be able to slow down and say, hey, let's gather if we're able to celebrate. Let's gather to be thankful. Let's, as his people, come together. We'll pray. We'll sing. We'll hear some scripture. Like, we'll even eat food afterward because, right, we're thankful. We can do that. And we're Baptists. And we eat when we get together, right? And so it's like, this is really important. Like, be, like being together, joining together is really, really important. And so today, as we talk about our goals, um, like, I don't, I don't know how you are personally, uh, but are you a goal setter in your life? Have you been a goal setter or looking back? Did you have goals for your family, right? Did you have goals uh, for your health or for your finances or for school, you know, when you were in school? Did you have goals that you wanted to set or goals that you did set? Because those are different things, Right setting goals. Everybody's going to set, uh, want to set a lot of good goals come January 1, aren't they? It's going to be a great year. This is going to be it. This is the year, baby, right? And then January 2nd comes, and it's like, well, maybe next year. <laughs> maybe next year we'll do that, right? So goals are really, really important. Um, Zig Ziglar said this about goals. If you aim at nothing, you'll what? You'll hit it every time, right? So I got to go uh, target shooting uh, a little bit ago, like about a week or so ago with some friends. And I haven't been in a long time. And uh, ever since I hurt my hand, uh, shooting is still very nervous like, for me. It's a like, very nerve-wracking thing because I can't bend the, the important fingers for that operation, right? And so when I go out, I still am very nervous. So it was cool, though, to get out and, and like, sight in downrange and be like, man, this is like something that I used to really enjoy. And to hear that plink you know, it's like, and then smell, that smell, like, oh man, like it was just like, you know, but there's, I remember in, in boot camp when we were shooting, so in, in the Marines, the whole point is like every Marine's a rifleman, right? That's like, they drill that into you right from the beginning. And so they take you at like 25 yards first, because they're going to teach you how to like zero in a rifle, right? Which means like, you're going to learn how to aim. 
And so I had shot a 12-gauge shotgun with a drunk friend of my mom's once when I was a kid. Like, that was my extent. And it almost broke my shoulder. Because, again, he's drunk. He's not paying attention to me. The shotgun's not uptight to my shoulder. I just kind of held it out. And I felt like I got donkey kicked, right? I was just like, ah! You know, and, of course, you know, his buddies are just laughing. They're like, welcome to shooting shotguns, you know? And I'm just like, I'm like 12 years old guy, right? And so that was my experience up to this point. And so they're teaching you how to zero in, windage, and all this good stuff. And then uh, pretty quickly, though, they're going to take you out to 100. They're going to take you to 200. And then they're going to take you to 500. Because in the Marines, they're going to teach you how to shoot from 500 yards away on an open site, which is really, really tough because your front sight post is the same size as a six-foot silhouette at 500 yards. So you think about something that's this big at 500 yards, it's the same size as me right now. So it's really, really important to know how to aim at their correct target. But what would happen inevitably is some guys are just not born or made to shoot. Don't know what it is. Uh, They could not shoot the side of a barn from four feet away. I don't know what it is. It's just a thing. And so I can remember running the targets at 500 yards because things start to get really weird at 500 yards because bullets are going all over the place, right? And you're behind a berm, of course. But what will end up happening is guys will be shooting like three targets to the left or to the right. Right, because they get out there and they start getting nervous and they start to like zero in on a target and they don't realize they're facing like over here. And for 500 yards away, a few inches is going to put you way off, right? And so I'd be sitting there waiting on the target. You know, I'm like, why, why aren't they shooting at the target? What's going on? And then like three targets down, it's getting like lit up like the 4th of July, right? Because people are shooting at the wrong target. And so the whole point, though, for me telling that is are you shooting at the wrong target? right? You think you're shooting at the right one. You think you've got the right goals, but you're not actually shooting at the right target, right? Because we saw that a ton, a ton on the range. And so again, to take a step even further than that quote right there is where Paul is this morning in chapter three, right? He was shooting at a target. He was, he had goals, but they were really, really wrong goals. And they were not only wearing him out, they were getting him nowhere. And ultimately, as we'll see, they were causing a lot of harm, because his goals were wrong. Because here's, a t- again, to take it a step further, do you have spiritual goals in your life, right? It's good to have health goals and finance goals and all these other things. That's good. But do you have spiritual goals in your life? Because your, your satisfaction level is tied at, to your spiritual satisfaction level, right? Like if you're not good with God, everything else is going to be kind of difficult right? Like if you're not settled in your heart, if you're not at peace with God, a lot of other things are going to feel unsettled, right? If you're not following Christ in your life, you're going to start to see that reverberate into other areas of your life, which is going to bring a lot of not satisfied feelings, right? Into your life. Because again, I'm talking, I'm talking with the assumption that you're like, yes, what Jesus Christ says is best for me, right? So I'm not talking theoretically. I'm saying if you're a follower of Jesus, you're saying, his plan for your life is the best plan for your life. And if you're not living in, the, in that vein, then you should expect to be very unsettled, right? Like, I'm kind of taking that for granted that we're all in agreement with that. But our spiritual goals are really, really important. But we, I think, can have, as Paul does here in chapter 3, we can have the wrong spiritual goals. We can come to, come to Jesus with the wrong framework, right? And so, for example, what if your spiritual goals led to things like this? You know, life-giving community, right? Like Paul's already talked about. What if your spiritual goals headed in the direction of life-giving rest or life-giving impact on others or a life-giving relationship with Jesus, 
right? Because if you're headed in the direction of Jesus, you're going to start to see some of these other things fall in line, right? And Paul, I think, gives us very, very good instruction this morning on what this looks like in our lives. Because he, he was headed in a way that he thought was, uh, thought was good, right? He was headed on a path that he thought was where he needed to be headed. But he was aiming at the wrong target, right? He just wasn't, he wasn't doing what he should be doing. And this chapter here is him looking back on that and being like, you know what I learned about goals? Here, let me share it. So that's what we're going to see. Because ultimately, when you do this, you're going to find that you are spiritually satisfied. Right? You're going to find that, that when you meet Jesus first, that these other things start to, your spiritual goals, start to kind of be a little more clear. Right? So that's what we see happening in him. Because if you don't, he's going to address something that I think is good for us. Because I think we, a lot of times it's, it's easy or maybe to feel like as long as I'm doing something for God, that means I'm closer to God because I can feel it, right? There's like, there's physical evidence. Like if I'm going out and I'm volunteering this afternoon and I'm doing like going in the community, like that means I'm getting closer to God or like, like I'm, I'm earning it or I'm making it happen. There's like, it's really easy to kind of slip into that. I just need to produce mode for God, right? I just need to have all my disciplines and do this and do that and do that. Uh, and because then we feel it. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do those things. I've got to be super clear that I'm not saying loving Jesus means doing nothing at all because that would like pretty much cut out the entire Bible, right? That's not what I'm talking about. What I am saying is that sometimes we just, we want to earn it. We want to feel it. Like we want tangible evidence that we are following God. But if all we're doing is out of obligation or guilt and not because there's like an outflowing of my relationship with Jesus, you end up with burnout, Right? You end up with burnout. If you're just trying to produce, if you're just trying to be good with God, there's like, you're never going to be satisfied in that either. Because I know a lot of Christians are like, oh, I'm serving all the time, I'm serving all the time. But they feel burned out because it's like, we're just trying to like, just do more, just do more, just do more. And it's why we're emphasizing so much at Quaybog Church that this is an all-in thing. Because if you look at any organization, um, how many people, what percentage of people are doing the work in the organization? right? 10% are doing 90% of the work, right? That's not just a church. That's like across the board. You just see that's kind of how people tend to be. There's like your go-getters that are going to want to do it. And everybody else is just like, well, somebody else would do it. It's why if you've ever taken a CPR class, what do they tell you when you're, when you're about to perform CPR? Somebody call 911? Is that what they say? No, no, no. What do they tell you to do? You call 911, right? You find somebody and you tell them to call 911, right? You look them right in the eye and you say, you call 911. Because if somebody call 911, everybody's like, yes, yeah, somebody should. And somebody, I'm sure, will. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'll be recording. You know, I got my phone. I'll make sure somebody's recording this so I can put it on social media later. But no, no, you need to look at somebody. Every class I've ever taken, it's always you have to point to somebody and say, you do it. You do it. Because a lot of times we'll just kind of slip back. And then what happens is then those kind of people that are already doing it, they feel like they need to pick up more. So if as a church, we're like, no, 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 we do these things. We love each other. That's not somebody else's responsibility. It's my responsibility, right? Then that lightens the burden on all of us. And then it gives us a chance, all of us, to say, okay, how am I gifted? How am I pouring into somebody else, right? How am I serving others? Not just, well, somebody else would do that, right? Because again, that's, burnout. And that's not what we're talking about. That's not like, that's not what Christ wants for his body is to just be burned out because we're just sent, like serving out a sense of obligation or guilt, 
instead of just an outpouring of our relationship with Christ. So again, having the right spiritual goals is important. And so Paul is going to share his story, and he's going to see, or let us see into his, uh, his window a little bit here. So we're going to jump into Philippians chapter 3 today, looking at verses 1 through 17, for the most part. So to jump in, um, in verse 1 here, he says, In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord, all right? A very common word for Paul. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me, and it's a safeguard for you. So essentially, he's like, well, rejoice, and I don't remind repeating myself either. But then the question for me as I begin to look at this passage is like, well, what is, the, what is there a safeguard for? Like, what exactly do they need to be safeguarded against? There's been some unity issues we can kind of see in this letter. There's kind of some issues there going back and forth. But what he's talking about specifically is in verse 2. So look at verse 2 here, um, some things they need to be safeguarded against. He says, watch out for the dogs. Now, it's interesting that he would use that word there. Watch out for the dogs. So this is a phrase that was commonly used by Jews uh, for non-Jews or for Gentiles, right? So they very much saw themselves as being better than non-Jews. So what Paul is addressing here is a group of people that are actually coming in called Judaizers who are needing, uh, who are saying that if you're going to follow Jesus Christ and be saved, it's not just follow Jesus Christ and be saved. It's Jesus plus. And this is why this is really, really important for us because we can totally live in a Jesus plus mentality, especially depending on your spiritual background and your church style background. Some denominations are really, really heavy on, well, yeah, Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, but you got to do six and a half million other things in order to be saved, right? You got to do all, you got to jump through all these hoops. And that's what was happening in this church was these people starting to come in and being like, look, you need to jump through all these hoops. You need to do X, Y, and Z. So Paul is taking their little term dog and he's actually turning it back on them and saying, okay, that's who they are. So it's pretty strong language here. And he says, watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh or circumcision. What's interesting about dogs and evil workers is Paul is essentially saying, and again, why is it important to have good Christ-led spiritual goals. Because if you don't, what you are doing, the Jesus plus model is evil. It's a work of Satan, right? That I have to earn my salvation. That I have to, like, I have to impress God. I have to impress others. And that's why I do. That's why I serve. That's why I give is so that I can earn something. And Paul's like, that's not the right place to start from. Matter of fact, that's evil to think that way because they're saying, look, if you're going to be saved, you got to be, you basically got to be Jewish. You got to be circumcised and you got to do all these other things in order to be saved. And, and Paul's speaking very strongly against that. So these are the kind of things in verse one, he says, and it's a safeguard for you. Knowing these things is going to be a safeguard for you. So verse three, he says, for we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the spirit of God boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. So he's saying we are the circumcision, right? The whole point of circumcision wasn't just, you know, cutting off the foreskin. It was like in Deuteronomy, it has to be a heart issue, right? It's a heart issue that was really at play here. It's why Moses almost got struck dead in the Old Testament because he didn't, he didn't circumcise his, his boys, right? Because it was a heart issue. It was an obedience issue. And so Paul, what Paul is saying as followers of Jesus Christ, people sitting in the room today, we are the circumcision. 
right? We are those who have had our sinful natures cut away by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, right? Our dead spiritual nature, spiritual death has been cut away. So he's making a point. It's not by doing all these things. It's by believing in Christ. He's the one that cut the, the dead away, right? He did that. And so that's where our focus must start. That's where when we form spiritual goals, that's where it must start. And we are the ones who worship by the Spirit of God. And we boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. So, again, coming back here to our, where we were last week. Boast in Christ Jesus. So what does that mean? What was our saying again? No ego, amigo. He's like, I'm going to boast in Jesus, not in myself. Like, it's not about what I can do. It's about what Jesus did, right? That's the whole point of Christianity is to say, I know where I am because of him. And our satisfaction ultimately comes from worshiping our living Savior, Jesus, not trying to earn God's favor. And Paul's hitting on this initially, and then he's going to really drill it down into this idea um, throughout the rest of this chapter here. But our satisfaction, Paul has learned, has to come first and foremost from your connection to Jesus Christ. Not just the things, not the religious hoops that you're jumping through. And so when he says, do not put your confidence in the flesh, again, we have to take our eyes off of ourselves. Because there's a couple things here. Simple rule for spiritual goals in your life. A good question to ask. Are my goals dependent on Jesus or me? So the things that I'm doing spiritually, am I doing them for Jesus basically because they're all about me? Like, I need to do this because I need this, I need this, I need this, right? I even hear people talk about baptism this way. I want to get baptized again because I need to get closer to Jesus, right? I need to do something so that I can become closer to Jesus, right? It's a works-based mentality. And I always tell people, no, you're not getting baptized again. Like, we're not doing that. You've already done that as a follower of Christ. So, again, you're not earning God's favor. If you want to get closer to Christ, then get closer to Christ, right? Clean your life up. <laughs> Read scripture, right? Go love people in Jesus' name. Like, go live your faith out, right? Go talk to Jesus again. And then go live your faith out, right? Read scripture. Like, do these little disciplines that add up over time. Don't just try to do things because we think we're going to earn God's favor. So, are my spiritual goals dependent on Jesus or me? Ultimately, who do they start with? Lord, I want to go and serve because you love me, because you gave me this church, because you gave me somebody in my life. Lord, I want to do this because I see a need that you met in my life, like Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians. We comfort others with the comfort that we've been comforted with, right? It starts with you, Jesus. That's why I want to do these things. So it's just a good heart check that we see here in chapter 3 of, of this, because look at this next one, too. I was thinking about this week, and this actually did come out of the fog of my sickness, which is interesting. Religion... Or being religious, you know, in a broader sense, depends on your work for God. A relationship with Jesus depends on his work in you. That, that is one big lesson that Paul is, is sharing with us. What has he learned? Well, Paul says, I've learned that being religious and doing religious things really depends on the work that I can do for God. Whereas, what I've learned, Paul says in chapter 3, I've learned that a relationship with Jesus, that... That depends on Jesus' work in me. Then I get to go and serve. Then I give sacrificially. Then I forgive when people don't deserve it. Then I can be patient and loving and kind. And I can be full of the fruit of the Spirit because it starts with Jesus and him working in me first. And then everything I do is just an outpouring of that. 
Again, it doesn't start with me and things I need to do, right? And again, there's a subtlety here, but a subtlety that really, again, at 500 yards, right, a few inches, you're shooting at the wrong target, right? So I know I'm kind of splitting hairs here, but I think they're important ones to split. So that's, again, that's the theme. That's the, the vibe that he's just starting to get into as we get in to this. And now he's going to share the things that he did when he was shooting at the wrong target, when he had the wrong goals, right? So in verse 4, he says, Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, or, you know, or confidence in myself, Paul is saying, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Right? He did this in uh, 2 Corinthians 11 as well, where he like, goes through all of his qualifications. And he's like, you know, this is all the stuff that I've done. Right? These are all the things that I've accomplished because I'm basically better than everybody. These are the things that I once thought made me great. Right? So, first thing, greatness by birth is the first subject that he gets into. Because he, he kind of talks about two sets of things. Here's some things that were just, I'm awesome because, and better than everybody else because of the way I was born. And then he's going to get into, and this is the stuff that I did that really put the cherry on top of me being awesome, right? And then, so if you think about the, the by birth stuff, it's just like, well, you know, hey, I'm an, I'm an American. And hey, I'm born in Massachusetts. Or I live in this particular town. Or I went to that particular college, right? It's like things that maybe you didn't have anything to do with, but can like puff us up, right? And make us feel better than. So he's going to say in verse 5 here, I was circumcised on the eighth day. So kind of going back to verse two, what he talked about with circumcision. He's like, yeah, I've done that. Just like I was supposed to check next of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, right? Like spiritual pedigree here is what we're talking about. Uh, Benjamin, you know, Israel's first King came from Benjamin. When the nation split in the old Testament, Benjamin faithful to the throne of David, uh, yeah, that's my family. That's where I came from, right? Spiritual pedigree here is what we are looking at. And then, you know, spiritual pedigree, like, oh, what church do you go to? Oh, it's too bad. I go to Quaybonk. <laughs> spiritual pedigree, right? These were all things that Paul thought made him better than other people, right? And then what's next? Greatness by choice. Then he gets into. Regarding the law, a Pharisee. Regarding zeal, persecuting the church. So when it comes to the law of Pharisee, that means he, he intentionally chose a life that was going to be the most strict, right? Pharisees were known as being like hardcore with the law. Like they were going to not only hold to the law, but they had all the rules surrounding the law so that you could not break the law, right? Like sometimes they had like, like degrees of almost three separations so that you couldn't like, hey, if you break this one, you know, you're getting too close to the law. Like, and that's the kind of stuff that Jesus was, like, would go crazy over. He was like, not only is it the law, but you guys have made all these things around the law so that people basically can't even move without being terrified. And Paul's like, yeah, and that's who I was. I, that's who I was, right? And so a choice he made. And then, of course, that regarding zeal or his passion, he was so passionate. What did he do? He was literally wiping out Christianity to the best of his ability, right? I think we can't overlook the brutality and the savagery of Saul before he became the apostle Paul. He was traveling around in Jerusalem, and then when he was done there, he actually had to, on the road to Damascus, he was actually carrying letters of authority because he was going way beyond his area of influence, 
right? That's why he had to have these little letters. If you go and read about his road to Damascus story, he had to get letters first because he was going to go and kill and murder and jail people way outside the area where he was supposed to be going. So Paul was a crazy, murderous person. That's how zealous he was. That's how passionate he was. He was like, look, there's nobody that was as zealous as I was. And then he says, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless, right? Essentially, he means innocent. And so externally speaking, and this is, again, this is where it gets good for us. Externally speaking, he had boxes checked. He looked good, right? This has been an American church for a long, long time. You just walk into church, you make sure you're dressed nice, you got a nice smile. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, I'm all set. I'm good, right? I'm doing all my stuff, right? Externally speaking, I'm all set. But what was that doing to him? You know, everything in his life was making him feel better than everybody else. And yet, where was his heart? Where was that leading him to? And what Paul realized, and what I wonder for us is, are we willing to like really self-examine? That led to spiritual arrogance, in Paul. He was better than everybody, and he knew it. This is the complaint a lot of non-Christians make today, right? You think you're better than everyone else, and it's like, people didn't really say that. Sinners didn't say that about Jesus. Like, he called them out on their sin, and yet they were drawn to him, right? And it's like, that grace and truth thing, right? It's like, how do we do that like Jesus did? Like, how do we do that in a way that like Paul is realizing in jail that, man, I used to be such an arrogant person, but then Christ just humbled me, right? Remember the thorn in the side? Would you remove that? And God's like, no. Like, you're going to be weak in that area because that's where I'm going to show up strong in your life, right? So it was just like this level of humility that Paul learned painfully over a long period of time in his life. And he was just like, look, that was like, that's who I was. Like, I just thought my spiritual pedigree and being religious made me better than other people, but I've learned differently. I've learned differently because ultimately spiritual arrogance is not going to lead to spiritual satisfaction, is it? Because if you're always trying to be better than everybody, that's exhausting, right? That's exhausting because you're always trying to make sure you're like, you're stepping a little higher on the ladder, a little higher on the ladder than other people, right? Whereas Jesus says, no, no, don't worry about it. Just assume that you're at the bottom. <laughs> assume that you're last. Assume that in humility, yeah, you'll tell people truth. You'll stand on the truth but you'll live in humility because then, then you're freed up, right? Spiritual satisfaction really does come with humility because you're just like, yeah, we're all in the same boat. I'm a little further along in the journey maybe. And I can tell you, hey, your life's a mess. And I can tell you why I know that because this is what God says. Or maybe you can't see it and I can see it from the outside, but we're all on this journey together. And that's why I can help you. I can invest in you, right? And that's why the body of Christ is such a cool thing. And then humility allows you to hear that right? We don't like to hear we're doing something wrong. I know I don't, right? I know I don't. Like, Brittany has the tone of voice. I don't know if you and your spouse have this. Like, when Brittany says, hey, and I just know I've done something wrong, or I'm about to get critiqued somehow. It's just like, I can, I can tell. There's like a, a change in the atmosphere or something. I don't know exactly what it is. And Brittany's always really gracious, and thankfully, I don't, I don't have to have that a whole lot. But when we have those moments, it's like I can feel it, and when early in our marriage, I would be just be like, hey, or you could just zip it, right? That would be a good option to what we're about to have a conversation about. Because I didn't do that. I was like, you can have your feelings and I'll go in my, like my spiritual man cave, right? And you can't, you can't annoy me here. You can't talk to me about issues. These feelings things, I've heard men have them, but I don't. So we're not going to discuss them, right? But that was my thing. But I had to have humility over time to be like, okay, 
I need to let Bernie speak into my life with blind spots that I have, right? Because again, my spiritual goals at the time were reorienting toward Jesus. And he said, be humble. And I trusted him. And I've seen the fruit of that in my life, right? And I'm not always humble, right? I'm not. Sometimes I can still be arrogant. Sometimes I can still be better than other people. I can go to Walmart and be like, oh my gosh, look at these people. I can. And then immediately, like, it's almost like God is always like, yeah, and look at you. You were once like that, right? First Corinthians 6, First Corinthians 9. Like, yeah, yeah, that was you too. It's like, yeah, right? Humility does bring satisfaction because we're not always worried about being better than everybody else. Because Paul's heart was going in the wrong direction. He was shooting at the wrong target. He had the wrong goals. And so let's look at verses 7 through 11. But he says, but everything, and the Greek word here is tauta. And the reason I point this out is because he's using actually two different words in two different verses here. But everything, which essentially means these things, that was gained to me. So the stuff that he just talked about, his spiritual pedigree, all of that, he's considered loss because of Christ. Because again, a lesson that Paul learned was religion depends on our work for God, but a relationship with Jesus, that depends on his work in you, right? Like that was the difference that Paul was learning. And so all that stuff, all that spiritual pedigree, he realized it was all a loss. And then ironically, sadly, his work that he was doing religiously for God actually got in the way of his relationship. And then also sadly ironic is that his religious work that he was doing actually was causing him to do evil things like kill Christians, right? And so sometimes, like Paul started off talking about those evil workers, the things we think are doing, we're doing good, may actually not be good because again, they're focused more on us than they are Jesus. And so this is all, these are lessons that Paul has learned. And I, think, I love that he shares this with us. So the question like I kind of wrestled with in the middle of this passage here is like, well, what spiritual goals do I set? Am I just like checking boxes? Um, you know, are they more God-focused? Are they more me-focused? So that's what I would love you, th- you to think about. Like, one, are you spe- setting spiritual goals? Because I hope that you are. Because like Zig Ziglar said, if you don't shoot at anything, you're going to hit it every time. So if you're not somehow growing in your faith, you won't. It's like, well, I know a lot of people, they hope they'll get in better shape. They hope their finances will improve. They hope they'll get smarter. They hope, blah, 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 right? And they don't set any goals, so they don't actually do anything. They're like, well, maybe hopefully just like binge watching Netflix will make it all happen for me, you know? No, they won't. Like, you actually have to do something. So do you set spiritual goals? And then, again, are you setting the right ones? I think starting with Jesus first helps with that. And then he goes on in verse 8. And he says, more than that, I also consider, again, same word, everything, but a different Greek word, panta, which literally means all things. So he's broadened it out to say anything and everything. I considered everything else that we might put as a, a rival to Jesus to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ is my Lord. Right? So again, broadening that way out. And then he continues on this line of thought. And he says, because of Jesus, I have suffered the loss of all things. Right? Think about his status, stuff, his way of life. And then obviously now being in jail, his very freedom, he has lost. And he considers all of that as dung. And the Greek word there, I think I put it in there, is skibalon, which is garbage or something just to be tossed out to the dogs. Right? So it's like, all that stuff, no matter what it is, I consider even my own freedom to be dung compared to knowing Jesus, right? So that I may gain Christ, right? For a long time, he was heading in the right direction, and this didn't happen overnight, just as a reminder. This is at the end of Paul's life, and him knowing Jesus for a long time, and getting to the point now where he realizes, man, when you're in jail, and you're getting ready to die, 
that's kind of when things come into clear focus, right? Like, what's mattered in my life? Well, really nothing other than Christ, right? Like, that's the biggest goal. That's, like, that's what's, like, set all the other priorities in my life right is knowing Jesus. And Paul here, again, at the end of his life, potentially, he's thinking, he's like, all right, so this is what I've learned from the goals that I had set, is that nothing compares to Jesus. And I got to start with Jesus first. Um, So verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. You know, he doesn't need to wear himself out being more religious. He needs to start with Jesus first. And at the end, he's hoping he can stand before Christ and be found faithful because of his relationship with Jesus. And then he goes on, verse 10. So here we are. Here it is. My goal, Paul says, is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. So Paul's goal to know Jesus so well that he experiences the power available to Christians in this life. Like the power of the creator is available in this life and I want to know it, Paul says. Like that is my goal. I want to know it in this life. And that's going to be my pursuit. That's where I'm headed. You know, orient your goals around Christ, whatever they might be. Because when being conformed to his death um, going back to the verse there, being conformed to his death, what that means is that he realizes that he is something new now, right? The death of Jesus wasn't just the death of Jesus. It ushered in something new, and Paul understands that, and that's what he wants to experience. That's what he wants to live. And in Galatians 2.20, writing to the church in Galatia, he actually says that. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, right? I've identified with his death, and I no longer live. However, Christ lives in me. And the life I live, he says, next, I live in the body. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Like, I'm just a new person with new goals, a new focus, like all this stuff that we're talking about in the book of Philippians. Like, I'm a brand new person because of what Jesus Christ has done in me, right? Because I identify with Jesus' death. (laughs) And so now he talks about the pursuit of this new goal. In verse 12, it says, not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Jesus Christ. It's like he's like everything has changed for me because of Jesus, right? Everything. And this is what I love about what Paul's talking about in his own journey, in his own like letting us see into his heart in this book. Is this right here. Is this lesson that he's learned about spiritual goals. It's like I'm saying I'm not there yet but I'm focused on heading in the right direction because of Jesus. Like, I love that he offers this. And this is actually where verse 17, like, lands. It's like, I'm not there yet, but I'm focused on heading in the right direction because of Jesus. Like, I've got, I've got good goals in my life, spiritually speaking, because I want to be spiritually healthy so I can be spiritually satisfied. You know, like, I, I'm going to keep my eyes on him, and I'm going to have the humility to realize that I'm just in process, but I'm heading in the right direction right? I'm going somewhere. I love that about what he's giving us here in this, in this book. And then verse 13, he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, repeating himself. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, right? All the stuff he just mentioned, all the trying to earn God's favor, all that stuff, and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Jesus Christ. Again, the process, having the right goal now, 
you know, we're not going to figure it all out. But once we forget what is behind, because a lot of us have some spiritual baggage that we need to set down. Again, when I was learning to shoot, they were like, those of you that grew up shooting, raise your hands. All these hands went up. He's like, you all are going to be awful shots. And, uh, you know, they're all confused. And they're like, no, I'm an awesome shot. I've been hunting my whole life. And he's like, and I remember our instructor being like, yeah, and you've all got awful habits. Every last one of you have awful habits. He's like, and you're going to struggle to shoot the way we learn. And he was like, how many of you have never shot anything? And then now I'm like all cocky about it. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Never, right? And I picked it up like that because I wasn't trying to unlearn anything. And so in some ways, Paul's like, sometimes you got to set aside the things of your past. You got to set aside maybe the things that you thought about God and earning his favor and like, and all that stuff. And you got to realize, no, it's got to start first with my relationship with Jesus. Then, like I said, that's then an outpouring because of what he's doing in you. It's not just you being Jojo the circus clown and running around like a crazy person, right? It's you actually just living out what Christ is doing in you, right? So I pursue as my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus, right? Like that's my goal. That's what I want to do. And therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently in verse 13 about anything, God will reveal this to you also. It's like spiritual maturity, as he said, in the first chapter is going to allow us to have discernment about these things. But I love, I love that. God will reveal this also to you. If you're not there yet, Paul says, God's going to be patient and he's going to show you these things. In verse 16, in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Keep growing. We're in process. We're in the journey. And I found a quote of the uh, Expositor, Expositor's Bible Commentary. Um, Paul recognizes that Christians though proceeding along the same path, may be at different stages of progress. It should be faithful to as much of God's truth as they understand, right? Keeping moving, keeping yourself moving in that direction, having the goal of being like Jesus and then setting your goals based on that relationship, right? Again, do they focus more on Jesus or do they focus more on you? Are you just doing because that's going to make you a better Christian or that's going to make you something or it's going to be impressive to other people? Are you saying, no, I'm going to start with Jesus and what he's doing in me, and then the things I do are a result of that, right? That's why you see the energy like you had in Paul, because it was an outpouring. And then he ends in verse 17, and he says, Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. So that's the power of Christ-like community. We help other people in the journey, right? That's why we're constantly talking about the inverted pyramid, right? Why our day-to-day mission here? Love God, love others, help them start, and grow their relationship with Jesus because we're in journey together. We're in the process together. So to end on a practical note, uh, I started off by saying, what about these different life-giving goals that we could have if we start with Jesus? So what does that look like? So to have life-giving community for us, what would that look like for you personally to have life-giving community? You know, I, I hope you would see it as I am an important part, as in you. You could say this personally. I am an important part of life-giving community here at church. I'm going to get to know people so that people can pour into me, right? Because I need that. I need the encouragement every now and then. I need somebody that I can call at 1 a.m. and be like, hey, I need you to pray for me, right? Like, do you have anybody in church like that where you could just be like, hey, I just have to do it? Or does everybody need to call Pastor Kyle at 1 a.m.? Please don't. Please don't. That's a lot of calls I could get at 1 a.m. But do you have people that can just pour into you or people that can hold you accountable? Like, is there somebody in your, in your Christ-like community that would be like, you know what, I just need to speak into an area of your life. And you got the humility to listen to them speak into your life, right? Life-giving community, like having a goal of, of cultivating that in our church and then outside of our church, right? Next, 
life-giving rest, right? That's an incredible goal to have because we don't live in a culture that says rest much. I think we really struggle with this because it's either like work to death or what we're seeing now in the, in the anti-work movement, right? I don't want to do anything, right? And so we're, like, we're like really divided on this. Like we don't know how to rest well, but even Jesus needed to rest. And again, I trust Jesus. I know there needs to be a good rhythm in my life. I don't rest well. Pastor Kyle, I do not rest well. I'm an awful, awful rester. I do it when I get sick, and then the rest of the time I struggle with it, right? And even then, I feel guilty. And Brittany's always like, good job resting today. Like when I was sick this week, she had like congratulate me, like boost me up a little bit, you know, because I feel bad about resting. And so, but I know that Jesus wants me to do that. Or how about, and again, outward now, life-giving impact on others, right? Like I'm setting good goals in my life, so now I know how I can lean into other people. Now I know how I can serve others. I'm serving not out of a sense of guilt or obligation, because of what, but because of what Jesus is doing in me, right? And there's just such a difference in how we do that. One's spirit-filled and one is us-filled, right? And so just thinking about that. And then lastly, foundationally to all this, is life-giving relationship with Jesus. You know, are you reading scripture? Because you've got to know Jesus as he is, not as you think he is, like the whole gospel of John. Like, you have to actually know Jesus. Because sometimes it's not just all, oh, don't do this, and like, oh, Christians can't have fun. It's like, no, you need to rest. You need to have some fun, right? You need to have somebody in your life that can pray for you. Like, there's very life-giving things that Jesus talks about. But sometimes we're just like, you know, oh, no, Jesus is a taskmaster, or Jesus doesn't care about me, or whatever. But if you're reading in the New Testament, you're getting to know him. You're getting to know what he said to other people. It's like, all right. Like, now I can, like Paul did here in this chapter, I can orient everything around Jesus and I can focus on that. So, goals. Spiritual goals are really, really important. It's not just about the things you're doing in your life. It's the things that you're doing in your soul, right? And if you're not careful, you'll end up just trying to produce and do. And Paul's like, that's just not ever going to get you where you want. So if you're going to be able to turn, again, turn the page from being not satisfied to satisfied, one of the big ones, you know, your perspective is huge. Your attitude is huge, but also, like, where are you with Christ? Where are you with your Savior? And are you setting goals in that direction? Because some of the things, just, again, I, 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 I don't know. Hopefully it's helpful for you. I always like to end uh, our time together by just, like, what did God say specifically to me? Like, what was I hearing out of this? Healthy spiritual goals. Again, I'm not there yet, but I'm focused on heading in the right direction because of Jesus. Like, I'm in process, but I know I'm heading in the right direction. I'm not aiming at the wrong goal. I'm aiming toward Jesus, and he'll show me the things as I go. Next, are my spiritual goals dependent on Jesus or me, right? Are they dependent on Jesus or me? And then to flesh that out a little bit, be next. Religion depends on your work for God, right? Broadly speaking, religion. It's like, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? But a relationship with Jesus, why that's different is because that depends on his work in you. He said that repeatedly. He said that was the point of the Holy Spirit. You see that borne out in the rest of the New Testament. It's got to start with Jesus and what he's doing in you, and then you reflecting that. It's not just running in circles trying to produce for God, right? Because that's what Paul was doing, and he realized that was fruitless. And it ended up kind of getting, getting him in trouble. So what are your spiritual goals? I hope you have some, and I hope they're oriented at the right thing. I hope you're shooting at the right target. Don't shoot three over. It's confusing, right? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. Thank you for uh, this letter of Paul and just such a, an intimate look at his life and how he was really able to turn the page from being not satisfied to satisfied and how he could end his life in jail, likely looking at death, and just be grateful 
and talking about rejoicing and talking about joy. Lord, would you help us this holiday season to be able to slow down, take some breaths on this one, and really think about the goodness of God and our perspective on life. Help me, Lord, to do that. Help me to slow down and be able to absorb this stuff. Uh, this is your word, Lord. This is life-giving stuff. And I pray that uh, you bless us all without awareness, Jesus. And I pray that in your name, Lord. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.